Let's go. Let's go. All right, there you go. How messed up would that have been? I'm so sorry. Dude, I I didn't feel ready for the podcast, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, I really felt like there was a a hole in my heart and soul. Actually, you know, it's funny. So I uh, we're recording, right? Can they hear that music that you just played or no? You know, I haven't ever tried to drop it in. We've always okay. done it beforehand. So yeah, yeah. we're gonna find out. We'll and find I out. can always overlay it if need be. Okay. But this I, is our this is our morning ritual. <laughs> Dude, when I was like 18, not like when I was 18, when I was 18, I had a buddy named Sam and he was addicted to cigarettes and I think he still is. But anyway, I remember I wanted to know what that felt like. Like, what did the addiction feel like? And I was trying to get him to articulate it. I was like, can you just explain to me what, when you feel as though you need one, what is the emotion? What does the addiction feel like? And and he said something that Sam was a funny kid. He is he's very funny. He had a very poetic response. He was like, imagine that part of your soul has a hole in it. And the only way to fill your soul is to have another cigarette. And I was like, oh my God, that's <laughs> that's very like uh deep and poetic. And that's how I felt when you hadn't played that music yet. When I felt like there was a part of my soul that was missing that can only be filled by you playing that music. Ah. So that's, I, I was trying to have this conversation. I was like, no, we got to play the music first. So <laughs> for everyone listening, we literally, uh, before we start recording, Tony starts playing that music every single time. So when he yeah. hadn't done that yet, I was, I was feeling like there was a part of my soul that was missing. We get pumped up. <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? Man, that's such a good, like, random story for this episode in particular. Oh, yeah, the mental health episode, which yeah. I am completely unprepared for, but I'm letting you take the reins and we'll go for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm good, man. <laughs> I'm like taking <laughs> my time to jump in. It was so nice. We uh, went down to Charleston, where my sister lives, and nice. a bunch of family converged on that city, and we ate way too much food. I think I'm still full. How many people were there? Like eight. Yeah. Okay. Eight. Nice. So yeah, we rent an Airbnb that's big enough that everyone can hang out in a living room, you know, and and eat. And then of course when we're in Charleston, we also go out to eat because mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, but the, the at least I think the food scene there is awesome. Oh yeah. It's like yeah, a yeah. mix of really fresh seafood and then like southern rich comfort food. Mm. And it's it's well done. I, I love that. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Man, that's a good question. Probably the ham. Like we didn't even have a turkey this year. We just I was going to say, dude, yeah. I don't think ham is a Thanksgiving. It, it is in my family. Um, so we would always oh, have like a, a turkey and a ham. And like really would eat the ham more. And so we were just like, do we need to do this? Do we? I mean, I love that. Like you definitely don't need a turkey. Like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of turkey. I just never heard anyone say, yeah, we're having a Thanksgiving ham. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're nonconformist over here. I love that. I love that. We, we never had ham really in my house because we right. don't eat pork, but. I have had ham and I definitely think ham is tastier than turkey. I like cold cut turkey, but mm -hmm. not like the actual bird turkey, you know? I agree 100%. Yeah. I don't know what it is about it being thinly sliced and cold and like in a deli context. With some mustard and all yeah. that. Like that's, that's legit. Go. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I don't know. I think turkeys are hard to do right. Like it's really easy to like make it too dry or... Yeah, but even when it's done perfectly and it's not dry, I'm still just like, eh. And I think it's because it's such a lean meat. Like, it's super lean, mm -hmm. which I know all the bodybuilders are like, yeah, that's why we love it. It's like, yeah, but you'd rather a ribeye because I mean... <laughs> you know, there's more fat. And, you know, it's like the fat makes it taste really good. So I think when you have such a lean meat, it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, although bison's pretty lean, right? That's and that's true. That's it's got true. a lot of flavor. It has its yeah, own thing. That's going fair. On. That's mm. fair. So that that sort of makes my point null and moot. 
Yeah, no, it's exactly. I disagree. Right. It it adds nuance <laughs> to your point. <laughs> it changes. It changes based on the type of meat, and turkey yeah. is just like not the best in in our opinion. And then some people are going to get really offended. I'm never listening to your podcast again because you don't like turkey. <laughs> the turkey lobby's coming for us. <laughs> um, dude, I had a turducken for the first time in my life. This Maybe this Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving. Yeah. Wow. It was, have you ever had one? No. No. It was, this is not hyperbole. It was truly the greatest Thanksgiving ever because of this turducken. It's a duck wrapped in a chicken, wrapped in a turkey. And I love duck. I love duck. Okay. And I also really like chicken. And then all of the juices and all that, like sort of, seeped together to make the turkey actually taste really good and there was this like jalapeno stuffing in between all of the meats bro i'm telling you this was the single best thanksgiving meal i've ever had it was incredible and it was just my wife daughter and i and so we all sat down at the table and you know with we were done having the Thanksgiving meal within three and a half minutes because my daughter was just like, I'm done. <laughs> so like okay. the, the actual Thanksgiving meal was done in like three and a half minutes. But the that turducken lasted several days and it was we're going to do this every year. It so was did like the your best wife thing make had. this? No, because no, that's no. so ambitious. Okay. Yeah. I When I told her I wanted a turducken. So here's the deal. I I had seen a turducken on you ever see Epic Mealtime growing up on YouTube. Mm. No, you never watched Epic Meal Time. Oh, I was man. too busy watching. Uh, I just got a new fucking haircut. <laughs> Dude, we got a comment. Someone left a comment. I, I think if you listen on Spotify, there's a way to leave comments on the podcast. And someone had listened to the one that we did, uh, and we had mentioned mentioned that episode. And someone commented. They said, "Not now, Chief. I'm in the fucking zone." <laughs> From that video, at first, at first, I was like, "Why would they comment that?" And I was like, "Oh, that must have been that episode." <laughs> um, but anyway, I had seen turduckens when I was like 18 and 16 and all that stuff, but I'd never heard of one in real life. And I was talking to the Inner Circle, doing because every Monday I do a live Q and A with the Inner Circle, and one of my Inner Circle members said you should get a turducken. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that was a thing. And she said that a supermarket near us sells turduckens. Wow. So literally after the live, I got off the live and I said to my wife, I was like, I want a turducken. And she was like, what's that? And I explained it and you could see her face get like worried. She was like, I can't make that. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to go order it and we're going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And we got it. And it was, it was just absolutely incredible. We ate every last bite of it. And the whole thing was like 50 bucks and it could have served 10 people. And it just took me a few days to eat the whole thing. It was, it was amazing. I'm so intrigued. Yeah, so definitely, intrigued. definitely next year, Thanksgiving ham next year, I would just get a turducken and see which one wins out. I was just going to, you know, cut a big hole in the ham and fill it. Yes, do there. it, do it. Ham turducken. Ha- yeah. Yeah. Ham turducken. Dude, do it. <laughs> there will be a hole in your heart every Thanksgiving until you have that turducken. What's your favorite Thanksgiving dessert? So it's got to be one of the pies. Mm-hmm. Of course. Naturally. It's a tough. That's that's tough. You're putting yeah. me on the spot here. Yeah. Um, I think the blueberry pie is yes, actually dude. the best yes. one. Yes, agreed. With a little bit of uh, vanilla ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yep, dude. That completes That's it. it. That That's completes it. it. I That's enjoy it. pumpkin pie. I enjoy strawberry, rhubarb, pecan, you know, all the varieties, but mm-hmm. blueberry Blueberry is the best. It just pops. Yeah, blueberry is the best for sure. And I think the crust is my favorite part of pie. So like if it's nice, crispy, flaky crust, blueberry, this is a fitness podcast, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, ice mm-hmm. cream, vanilla ice cream. Yeah, dude, that's the best. My my wife makes the best blueberry pie I've ever had, and she makes it every year. It's it's incredible. Man, that's beautiful. That's yeah. Beautiful. All right. Mental health, huh? Mental health. <laughs> so to, to shift gears just a touch, you know, I've been really wanting to do this episode for a while. 
and I'm just going to read uh, a couple of statistics to start. Um, and this is from Forbes Health. 21% of U.S. adults experience a mental health condition in 2020. 5.6% of U.S. adults experience a serious mental health condition in 2020, which is often defined as a psychotic disorder, bipolar disorder, or severe anxiety or eating disorder that significantly impairs functioning. So that's very serious. Um, in 2020, 32.1% of U.S. adults experienced both a mental health condition and substance abuse. In 2019, 15.3% of U.S. veterans experienced a mental health condition such as post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, depression, or substance abuse. And I'll just do two more. The impact of depression and anxiety has on the global economy can be measured in $1 trillion in lost productivity each year. And in 2020, 51.2% of U.S. females, that's half, received mental health services, while only 37.4% of males received mental health services. Hmm. So the list goes on and on and on. I was going to say some of those stats seemed lower than I would have expected, which would probably lead to lead me to believe it's people not reporting it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. This is just what is What's reported. reported, yeah. clinically available data. Um, you know, imagine how many people are going through things that have never talked about it mm -hmm. or have never talked about it to that survey. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. The point is that many, many, many of us deal with mental health issues, whether minor or serious. Mm -hmm. You know, you've been so open and honest about some of your struggles in the past. You've talked about binge eating. You've talked about mm -hmm. Adderall, you've talked about anxiety, and it's something that just kind of, A, it, it makes me think the world of you to be so Thank open you, and to think about it um, or and to talk about it because, you know, it is still in my mind something that people don't like to talk about or mm -hmm. aren't comfortable talking about. You know, I'm no stranger myself to mental health concerns. I did deal with uh, depression as a teenager and as a young adult. I still deal with, you know, anxiety and, and depressive uh, tendencies at times. So it's something I'm still grappling with, right? And, you know, I just wanted to have kind of a wider conversation about it mm -hmm. to spread awareness, to make it easier for people to talk about it. Um, and also to maybe help someone not feel so alone. Dude, I love that. I, I think that's amazing. I mean, I, I'm open to starting wherever you would like. Do you have a, a starting point where either whether it's something to do with you individually or, or like a society as a whole or any yeah. specific aspect of mental health? Yeah. I think the best place to start is to say, hey, we are not mental health experts. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's that a is not very good place to start. Our profession, our bread and butter, you know, I wanted to talk about it because I do think, you know, you have opened that door mm -hmm. um, with your stories, but also with your followers. You know, a lot of people ask you questions uh, related to eating or other anxiety or other things. Um, and so, you know, in, insofar as we aren't mental health experts. You know, I just wanted to talk more where it intersects with, you know, your experience in, in health and fitness. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Kind of. Did I ever tell you that I'm on anxiety medicine? No. Did I ever tell you that? Yeah, dude. I, uh, it's called, it's called escitalopram. It's like a, a pretty small dose. It's like, I think it's 10 milligrams a day. And it's, it's funny. So for many years, I was, I was very resistant to getting on anxiety medication, like super, there's a huge stigma around anxiety medication. And the reason that I was concerned about it and resistant to it is because in my mind, I conjured up this idea that anxiety medication must make you feel a certain way, like it must dull or numb your mm -hmm. emotions or make you feel like a like you're on a drug that's just what i pictured in my head mm -hmm. and i think it was 
I think it was probably around like 20, it was either 2020 or 2021 when I was like, it was getting, I think it was 2020. I think it was right around maybe like June or July, 2020, when I was like getting like swamped on social media and it was just not good. It was around like George Floyd and, and mm-hmm. everyone was like, just the that protest. Was, yeah. Dude, it was, it was, it was nuts. And I was just getting slammed from every angle nonstop, like thousands of messages a day. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is bad. And so basically I spoke to my doctor and I was like, yeah, you know, what? I'll, I'll give it a shot. And, um, Number one, it took a couple of weeks to kick in. Like it didn't just start immediately, which I was surprised about when the doctor was like, yeah, it might take a few weeks for you to feel it. But the weird part is I didn't feel it. There's never been a point where I've felt the medication. What would happen with me is if when I would get anxious about something, it would, as soon as I had the thought, whatever the thought was that would produce the anxiety. I would have a thought. And then, and at the time I was, I was talking to a therapist. His name was Jesse. You could probably hear my daughter in the background. Uh, (laughs) uh, I was living in New York and, and he would, he called me a catastrophizer where like, as soon as I had a bad thought, then it would immediately catastrophize into like, well, this is the worst case scenario that's going to happen. And so I would have the thought, I would get the anxiety like in my chest and in my gut and then that anxiety in my chest and gut would then make the thought in my head worse. Mm-hmm. And then the thought in my head worse would make the anxiety in my chest and gut worse. And it was just this never ending yeah. cycle. It's a visceral it, feeling, right? Yes. It was a physical response to it. And it was hard for me to focus on anything. It was hard for me to have conversations. It was hard for me to have a, a good mood because I was just like, like I was constantly yeah, like, tight and anxious. And what I realized that the medicine did was this is really unique. I would have the same thought. The thought wouldn't stop. Like I wouldn't not have the anxious thoughts anymore. Mm -hmm. What would happen is I wouldn't have the physical response. So I would have the anxious thought. I wouldn't have the physical response of the gut and chest anxiety. Mm -hmm. So then I could just think about it. All it allowed me to do was just actually think about it as opposed to having that physical reaction to it, mm-hmm. which then allowed me to be more logical about it and be like, okay, well, if this happens, then this can happen and I'll be able to figure it out. Boom, done. But because it stopped that like physical gut reaction of that ang- chest tightness, all of that, because that stopped it, it prevented me from continuing down this downward spiral. Now, there were things that I did before I decided to go on the medication. Uh, like for example, I think it was 2019 where I was still having some anxiety. I literally didn't drink alcohol for over a year. I was like, you know what, before I do this whole thing, like, let me just see if not drinking will yeah. help. Um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure alcohol is linked to yes, anxiety. Huge. Yeah. And I literally didn't drink for over a year. It was like, I think it was like 14 months and I still had anxiety and I was still, it was still like, it wasn't fixed. Right. Mm-hmm. I exercised regularly and, and all of that stuff. And both of my parents have had terrible anxiety. I think there's a strong genetic component to it as well. So there were many things I tried to do before. And I, you know, I saw a therapist and I was talking to the therapist. And so I, I did many, many different things before I was like, you know what? Okay, let's give this a shot. And then I think it must've been in 2022, I was feeling really good after I had started the anxiety medicine for like a year. And I was like, you know what? I don't need it anymore. I'm good. So I stopped taking it without telling my doctor. And just like it doesn't kick in for a little while, it doesn't leave your system for a little while. So I was like, oh, this is great. Like I'm totally fine. And dude, it started to happen again, probably like early 2023 and I was I was getting real anxiety dude and my blood pressure was going up and I was like oh my god like what the fuck and that made it even worse right mm-hmm. I see my blood pressure going up which means I get anxiety about my blood pressure so it's just never any cycle and so then I spoke to my doctor I was like hey um I think I need to get back on this she was like I don't know that you stopped taking it I was like, yeah, I was feeling really good. She was like, yeah, that happens a lot. A lot of people will like start taking it and then they'll be on it for a while and they'll be like, yeah, like I'm good now. I don't need it. And then they get off. And um, 
I'm not saying everyone needs anxiety medicine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying for mm-hmm. me, it has actually been wonderful. And so I, I've been back on it now for maybe like two months. And um, I still like have some anxious thoughts. It's just I'm much better able to actually work through them yeah. logically as opposed to the physical response, which makes it much more difficult. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I'm going back to like Psych 101 you know, some of the the different therapies are really all about breaking that thought cycle, like cognitive psychology, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, hey, let me interrupt your thought right there Mm -hmm. and explain to you why, you know, that might be different or, you know, meditation where, Mm. you know, people will focus on hearing the thought and then just letting it continue without Mm -hmm. fixating on it, without ruminating. So it is interesting that there's different ways, you know, to kind of try to get to the same thing, which is breaking that. Yeah. That cycle. Yeah. So have you always dealt with anxiety or is this something that occurred kind of uh, as an adult? You know, it's funny, like when I think back on my life, I always think of me as like the happy go lucky, never really like nervous or anxious, but it's actually really crazy because uh, I was I was reading a journal that I had when I was mm. a kid, like when I was like eight years old, and I was anxious about the weirdest shit. Like I I remember uh, I, I read this journal. It's so funny. This journal entry from when I was eight was about and and it, once I, I completely forgot about this, but once I read it, I was like, oh my god, like. I've definitely like felt this since then. I was flossing and my gums started bleeding. Mm. And my mom was like really big on like oral health. And she was because my dad did not have good oral health. And he was having all these issues with his mouth. And, and she must have said, if you don't take care of your mouth, you could get cancer in your mouth, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, she wasn't trying to scare me. My mom is amazing. It was probably just not the best way of phrasing it. And immediately, as soon as my gums got a little bloody, like a little, like I flossed and brushed all the time. I was like, Oh my God, I have gum cancer. Uh (laughs) I, and, and that I literally, I was writing this in my diary as like an eight year old. Like, I think I have gum cancer. I'm really worried about it. And this happened all throughout my childhood. Now, it's funny because being happy go lucky and like really like positive is not mutually exclusive from having anxiety. Yep. And this is something that I sort of made up in my head that they're mutually exclusive. Like you can't be happy go lucky and also have a lot of anxiety. It's like, oh no, like that's me. I am both of those. Like I'm a prankster, I'm a jokester, I'm happy go lucky and I'm also riddled with anxiety. I am the biggest catastrophizer, which is one of the reasons why I think I've been successful with business is because I'm constantly anxious that I'm going to ruin my business, that I'm going to drive it into the ground, that I'm going to lose everything. Like, And it's funny because I had a mentor early on in my the early days of my business where he said, that's, that's actually a good thing. He's like, it's a good thing from a business perspective because You're never going to get complacent and you're going to want to keep going. It's not a good thing from a life enjoyment perspective because there's always this worry. But this is one of those things where people often just attribute success in life to business success. That's that's especially here in the West. It's just like, are you successful with business? Oh, then you're successful in life where it's like, okay, but maybe having a nine to five that you're not super stressed about and thinking about all the time could be way more successful. and maybe you don't make as much money, but you're also not stressing about it as much. So who's really winning here? You know what I mean? Like people often like, oh, I wish I could be a CEO or an entrepreneur. It's like, do you? Because I feel like the most successful ones are usually fucking stressed out all the time. So this is something I've had my whole life for sure. And it's definitely embedded in my family for sure. And and it does beg the question, right? Like, would you be less stressed at the nine to five than with like the business that you know you're you're thinking about or would you just be stressed because you I would just be stressed right yeah. I know the different the reasons for stress would be different and I know exactly what it would be at the nine to five at the nine to five it would be I hate fucking taking orders from someone else 
I'd be like, this this guy's an idiot or this woman's an idiot. <laughs> whoever's in whoever's in charge, you're an idiot. This is stupid. We shouldn't be doing it this way. I hate taking orders from other people. And then I'd be pissed at my coworkers. And I'd be like, yeah. you're fucking stupid. This is, <laughs> like, I would just, it wouldn't be good. And then I would be stressed about not making enough money. Da, 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 da. There'd be other stresses, right? So I'm very good at whatever I can find to make me anxious, I'll find it. Mm-hmm. And so if my health is in a really good place, then I'll be anxious about finances. If my finances are in a good place, then I'll be anxious about my health. If both of those are in a good place, then I'll be anxious about um, who fucking knows. I don't know. Tornadoes. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, I'll find something to be anxious about for sure. That's, that is my personality. And just coming to terms with that has helped where it's like when I get anxious and people just being like, all right, this is just me. Like I tend to get more anxious than so-and-so like my buddy, Mike, he was very logical, very just like, yeah, whatever. Like, no, I'm, I mean, yeah, it's something to worry about. Like, but you don't need to worry that much. He's, you know, it's funny. He's a math guy mm-hmm. and he's very data driven and he's very much just like, well, yeah, but the probability of that is like this and this and this. So realistically, and when I hear probability and, and a small percentage, I hear, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, so, okay. So a 3% chance, like, oh shit, like I could be that 3%. Like I, yeah. I, it could definitely happen. And he's like, yeah, technically, but that's very unlikely. And I'm like, but it could happen. You only have to roll the dice 33 <laughs> times. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there've been crazier stories where it's, you know, someone's got to get it. It's, hap- yeah. it's got to happen to someone. So. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, you talked about quitting alcohol for a year. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, alcohol can cause anxiety. I'm just going to cut that out completely. Is yep. there anything else that you tried? And I'm curious, is there anything like health and fitness wise that you tried yeah, so, or mean, that you did? So I saw a therapist. His name is Jesse. He was awesome. I started adding more cardio in as well mm-hmm. because um, obviously for the overall health benefits, but there's also the the very real mental benefits, mental health benefits that you get from, we all hear about it, like the endorphins, da, mm-hmm. da, da. It's very different. The mental health benefits you get from strength training are very different than you get from cardio. And both are better than either alone. But at that point in my life, I had mainly just been doing strength training. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to start adding in more cardio. Uh, yes, for my health, for my blood pressure, for all that, but also to see how that helps. And it does help. It's one of those things though, it's very easy to see how people get addicted to something like running Mm -hmm. and where they'll just do it for hours and hours and hours and hours every day. And it's not for their physical health as much as it is because it's something they get addicted to mentally. And it's, they almost like self prescribe or whatever it is with, with running where they'll Mm -hmm. just go for hours and hours and hours. And if they don't do it, then they have real negative results. It's like they, it ruins their day. They're like, they're in a terrible mood. They're super anxious as a result of it. And so that was something that I was very cautious of where I have that very addictive personality where it's like, all right, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it a hundred percent all the time. So I did start doing more cardio, but I was very cautious just to do a few days a week, not like going crazy with it, not self-medicating with cardio. I think that's an important distinction to make. So those were, I think, the main ones. I, I quit alcohol for like 14 months. Oh, and I also started getting way better sleep. I started, oh, and I also mm-hmm. completely got off Adderall around that point in time. I, Adderall was a major source of anxiety, but I completely got off Adderall. I started getting way better sleep because I was, you know, staying up, doing all-nighters, taking Adderall, working. So I stopped Adderall, got way better sleep, quit out alcohol, started seeing a therapist. And this is all over the, this wasn't all at once. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, all right, Monday, we're doing all this shit. But like, this was over the course of probably like a year and a half, two years where I I did all of these different things. And then I was like, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to start taking some medicine. Yeah. Were you uh, discouraged when you were doing all these different things and you still weren't feeling like you had it under control? That's a great question. Um, no, I don't think I was discouraged because it wasn't like the anxiety wasn't the only focus, right? So even though my anxiety wasn't really changing, 
my blood pressure was improving, which like, okay, that was a positive marker. I -hmm. noticed that it was improving in my running and with my cardio overall. I, oh, I started jujitsu. That was also a major component of it. Uh, So I was, I was loving jujitsu. I was like really like getting super involved in that. I actually really enjoyed doing therapy. It really helped me contextualize everything and help me understand my thought processes more. And I really liked the guy that I was, that I was speaking with. So I wasn't frustrated or, and it didn't create more anxiety. It was more just like, I haven't exhausted all of my options yet. Mm-hmm. And so like, and I'm still seeing positive benefits. So it is what it is, but no, I, I wasn't really frustrated about it. Yeah. And just curious, how long were you seeing Jesse? I saw Jesse. It's funny. I still have the the meeting, you know, when you put a recurring meeting in your calendar, <laughs> I haven't met with him for like over two years and it's still in my calendar. I've got Um, a a standing call with you on Fridays on my calendar. (laughs) It's like from ages ago. I think I saw Jesse for probably about a year, maybe a little bit less than a year. And we we only stopped because my wife and I moved from New York to Texas and he couldn't continue, which is funny because I could have just lied and not said that I moved to Texas because it was all virtual. It was remote. Yeah. Yeah. It was all virtual. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, it was, um, we moved and I was, I was in a good place and I was feeling really good and I haven't, I haven't seeked anybody out, any therapist out. Like I've been, I've been very good and the medication has helped. Like it's the medication that has helped the most with like dealing with the, the physical response. So. I w- I'm definitely not opposed to doing therapy in the future, but also moving out of the city, living in the suburbs, just like being in a much more calm environment. Like living in New York City is a very stressful environment. Oh, yeah. A- and I moved to Dallas and Dallas is a way more calm environment, but I was still in the city. I was still in downtown. So now we're in a house in the suburbs in a cul-de-sac and I'm just like, I see yeah. the stars at night. I walk in the grass like... I don't hear fire trucks and sirens all day, every day. So it's much more calm. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, we're always looking for ways to optimize things. And I Mm -hmm. think even with mental health concerns, you know, it's like, what's that one hack that will, you know, really lick it for good? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, what's that Mm -hmm. one thing I can do? And you went through, I mean over the course of about two years, about a million changes in lifestyle yeah. and set and setting and stage of life. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's so cool that you sought outside help and that you were open to something that originally you weren't open to, which is, you know, a medication that seems to really be doing the trick. I'm just curious, did you ever feel any like side effects? Because I definitely think that's something that turns people off to Dude, literally of none yeah. Li- like I don't even feel it that's why I got to a point where I was like I don't need this it's not doing anything and then I stopped it and then like a month later I started to get that real physical response to it again to the anxiety I should say it's not like it there's no it's no numbing it's not like numbing like I still feel when you get anxiety you know how like your numb your stomach gets in knots there's mm-hmm. like there's levels to it though. There's like an appropriate level. And then there's like, this is literally taking over my entire body. And it's about something that is, it's never happened. It hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Like there's no reason to have this level of physical anxiety. So I still, if I get anxious about something, I'll still feel it and I'll still need to talk about it and, and work it out. It's not like you don't have these feelings. It's just, it's, a more appropriate response in relation to whatever the thing you're feeling is. So uh, it's very proportionate. So dude, no side effects. And and I'm not saying that's how everyone will respond to it, but that's how I've responded to it. I know when I was talking to the doctor about it, the doctor had said like, yeah, some people it makes them feel very tired and other people it makes them feel very energetic. And I was like, well, that's crazy that some different people can have literally the exact opposite response from a, an energy perspective. So, I mean, it just goes to show that it's, it's very individual for me. If anything, for me, it might wake me up a little bit. Like okay. I just, I feel more alert, but 
some people, like my doctor said, they'll get more drowsy as a result of it. So what she said is, if you notice that it wakes you up, maybe take it in the morning. If you notice that it it makes you drowsy, take it at night before you go to bed. So I just take all my stuff, take my vitamin D, I take my fish oil, take all that stuff right in the morning when I wake up and that's it. But there's no negative side effects for me with this. No, that's great. I've had some friends that have gone through depression and, and have gone on antidepressants and it kind of took like mm. a couple tries to get like the dosage right or the switching medications or just, just something that, you know, worked for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when it worked, it was it was a lot like what you described, which was they were like, Yeah, I feel I just feel more grounded, just more normal. Yeah. Yeah. So you you kind of have your ear to the ground, particularly with your people, right? Your followers, mm-hmm. your, your inner circle. What are the mental health concerns that you hear about the most? So there are obviously a lot around food, like the the fear of foods and body image. You, what's been interesting though is, and I don't know if this is because I've been posting about it less or because people are experiencing less, I would imagine it's because I'm not posting about it as much, so I don't yeah. hear about it as much. I used to post about binge eating and food fear and food anxiety all the time because that was what I was very passionate about at that time, and I had gone through it. And there's still much of that among people, but I don't hear about it as much. I think it's because you know I'm very much in my comment section. When I make a post, I'm looking at the comments and, and getting engaged. Yeah. And so when I would post about that stuff, I'd see that stuff. Now that I'm posting about it less, I don't see it as much. So, so that stuff is, yeah, that stuff is very real, very, very real. And in fact, I would say that unless I'm mistaken, and I'm pretty sure I'm not mistaken, that eating disorders have the second highest rate of suicide, hmm. maybe second highest rate of death, maybe not yeah. suicide, second highest rate of death of all the mental health disorders, second only to depression which is pretty fucking wild when you think about it. Like eating disorders, obviously like they, I'm sure they can lead to suicide, but also just the, any type of malnutrition or whatever comes from having a disordered eating habit. They're devastating and they don't just wreak havoc mentally, but also can lead to serious, serious consequences, even including death. And they have the second highest rate of death, second only to depression, which I don't think people know or talk about very much, which is why it's so important to seek out help for it, because it's so easy for those to really snowball and pick up speed without you realizing it. So definitely that. I would say... Ever since 2020, which I still feel like we're, I feel like we're just in an extended 2020. Uh, it doesn't feel like 2020 <laughs> I like ended. I like to feel like we're like in the next year after. Like 2021 extends to me. 2020 was its <laughs> own little. Yeah, weird it's weird. Thing. I still feel like we're in it, but I feel like since then, loneliness has really become a major aspect of people's declining mental health and i think it's partly from you know just being stuck in our homes apartments whatever and almost adapting to that life where it's like i don't need to leave i can just order stuff have it delivered i can talk to my friends and people on zoom and i can go to church or synagogue or mosque on zoom and i can uh, work from home and so there's a lot of just literally staying exactly where you are and not having interactions with people. Coupling that with everything you see on social media, which is just the mo- the the worst, most like horrific scenes imaginable that are just yeah. focused directly onto you because it's like th- these are the ones that are getting the views. I'll give you this is so stupid, dude. I made a video just just to show you how stupid social media is. And in some ways it's great, some ways it's stupid, but the algorithm is very interesting. I made a video um, the other day of me slapping myself in the head with this fat here. What is that? This is a a glob of fat. It's like, it's not real fat. It's like, it's like a, I didn't cut it out of my body. It's, it's like a, it's a model model pound of fat. And I, took it and I slapped myself in the face with it. And I was like, if you're like, this is one pound. I was like, if you're getting mad that you've quote unquote only lost one pound of fat, I was like, you've lost this much. 
Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was just slapping myself in the face. <laughs> also, the fact that you just had it and just whipped it out. Yeah, like, right now. <laughs> I've also got the the muscle one right here. Uh, um, but I, I spend a lot of money on Amazon and I just use it as write-offs. <laughs> um, but that video of me just slapping myself in the face with fat got like, like I think like a million views which is a huge amount of views in like a very short period of time. And it got a ton of engagement and, and I made the video in probably 12 seconds. Yeah. I turned my camera on, slapped myself in the face <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And that's it. And the engagement was through the roof and, and way more views than, than literally anything I've done in the longest time. Meanwhile, I have a videographer that I hire and I pay him an exorbitant amount of money and I spend a ton of time and effort and energy trying to come up with the best content that is educational and informational and fun da, 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 and like fractions, fractions of the views and engagement. And it's not because it's not good. It's because the algorithm isn't showing it to people. Yeah. Whereas for some reason it wanted to show people this stupid fucking video of me slapping myself in the face with this glob of fake fat. And it's it, so the algorithms are showing people weird shit. Yeah. Weird and, and mainly the stuff that will scare this scare you. And so whether it's like what the bad stuff on the news, rioting, da da da, people dying, like we've become so desensitized to seeing people literally die on social media. It's like I remember seeing people die in movies used to be like, oh my God, like that yeah. looked very realistic. Now there are literally videos of murder on my social media, like mm. straight up murder. Not to mention fucking porn that comes up on my social media page. Like I'm literally seeing labia and like butthole on my fucking like it's wild. The stuff that pops up on my page. And I'm just like, we're desensitized to murder. Like we're desensitized like to these horrific things. And so when you're stuck in your apartment, you're stuck in your house, you're not talking to anybody, and you see these awful, awful, awful things on your phone, you're like, I don't want to go outside. Like I'm nervous for my life, for my family's life. And so all that leading me back to loneliness and fear and fear for, I think it's funny as a kid, you always hear the older generations being like, the world's going to shit. The the world's going to shit. This is a different world than I grew up in. And I feel like the age of the person saying that has decreased exponentially. I feel like that used to be like 80 year olds, 90 year olds. And now it's me at 32 being like, the world's going to shit. Yeah. It's like, I'm 32. I shouldn't be saying that yet. But like, because we're we're just inundated with it. And so there's just fear and anxiety and loneliness. And that's why I think getting outside, getting in the sun, meeting people in person. It's probably like, get off social media, get off, like go talk to people, like have a real conversation, have people over for dinner, like interact with people. It's so, so important. Yeah. I think that there's a, a study that showed, and I can't quote it exactly, but that showed a correlation between having a robust social network, like Mm -hmm. a real uh, in-person social network, not like on social media and decrease mortality at an older age. Yeah, yeah. There are not only correlational studies, there's causational studies on that, like for sure, without question. What's That's my daughter in the back. What's a good way? (laughs) No, no worries. She's She's going to be on the pod. (laughs) Like she'll she'll wake up and she'll literally just be like, woo, woo. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um yeah, like what what's something people can do to kind of break that cycle? I mean, easier said than done, right? But you like what do you do to to connect with people more in person? Um I mean, so for me right now my main source of in-person community is jujitsu. Mm-hmm. That's my main source. It would normally be jujitsu and also synagogue so going to shabbat services and i feel very guilty for saying this we have not been going to synagogue because of the very real fear of of issues in fact this was awful and to change the the tune of the podcast briefly there was a group of 
Nazis outside of our synagogue the other day, like with Nazi flags and literally outside of our synagogue. It was crazy because I saw it on I saw it on social media that like Nazis outside of a synagogue. And I was like, holy shit. And then it was like Dallas, Texas. And I looked behind them and there was the restaurant. And I was like, no, that's my synagogue. And so and then our synagogue sent out an email being like, hey, you know, we called the police. Da, da, da. But anyway, that's why we're not going to synagogue, just because right now with, with everything going on, there have been many synagogues that have been attacked and burned down. And I'm unfortunately just waiting to hear about ones that get shot up soon. So yeah. normally it would be synagogue and jujitsu. Right now, it's just jujitsu is really where I get the majority of my in-person connection. And also, usually at least once a week, my wife and I have either we have people over for dinner at our house or we go to dinner at someone else's house. So um, it's jujitsu um, like two to four times a week, depending on the week, and then having people over and then in, under normal circumstances, synagogue as well. I'm always at a loss for like how to express just how fucked up that is. Um, <laughs> it's wild. And it's wild. Know, I'm so sorry that that's even happening today. But yeah, when you're bringing... When you have people over, did you meet them through jujitsu? Like, how did you? Like, because you just moved to Dallas like a uh, a couple years ago. A couple of years ago, so yeah, in April of twenty twenty one. It's late November. It's November twenty ninth, twenty twenty three now. So a little less than two years, uh, right? Or a little no, over um, two years, yeah. A little over two years, yeah. Man, almost almost three years now, dude. It's nuts. I mean, so uh, yeah, like whether it's people from jujitsu or my, uh, my jujitsu coach, we have a lot of friends from synagogue come over. We go out with very frequently, even people in the fitness industry that I know. So for example, people in the inner circle, I know like one of the great things about the inner circle has been people, there are people from all over the world, all, not just the U S but all over the world. So there are people who they find out, Oh, like, Hey, I live in London. Anyone else in London? And then they'll do a group thing and they'll get together. And they'll just like get together as a group. Or I'm in Australia. Anyone else in Australia? Or I'm in uh, I'm in Denver. Anyone else from Denver? And so it's nice to have that. And then and they'll literally get together. They'll get a workout in. They'll go out to lunch. Have people over. So for us, like it's the same thing. It's uh, if there are people from the inner circle, or if there are friends from synagogue or jujitsu. Yeah, just we'll have them over. And and I think um, this is actually something where. My wife did not grow up in a house that was like that. Mm. My wife did not grow up in a house where it was like, yeah, come over for dinner ever, like ever. And I didn't really grow up in a house that was like that either. But when I went to Israel, that's what everyone is like. Yeah. Everyone is like, hey, come over to my house. I'll never forget. I was, uh, I was at a bus stop when I was like 18 years old and someone just started talking to me and I tried speaking in Hebrew and they immediately heard my accent. So they switched to English and they're like, what are you doing here? And I was like, yeah, I'm like pretty new. They're like, come over for dinner. Like immediately. They yeah. didn't know me from Adam. Nobody. They just invited me over. And that happened all the time. And so now my wife, like she gets nervous because we'll be out and I'll start talking to someone. i be like, you should come over for dinner. <laughs> And she, she'd be like, you don't even know them. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, we'll just have them over for dinner. And that does happen where like people will come over. Yeah. It's like that for me is one of my favorite things to do is have people over for dinner. So yeah, we do that. We do that like usually at least once a week, if not more, just have people over for dinner or or go out and, and meet. But now with our daughter, it's usually they come over yeah. for dinner, which is great. But it's fun, man. Like we sit down, we, we either have some wine or some challah, whatever, and we just eat. And I think that's, it's very refreshing. It's very, very refreshing to sit down and speak with people in person. There's only so much depth you can get with people online mm -hmm. on social media. Mm -hmm. There's only so much. And, and also same thing with people on the phone. I love talking to my friends on the phone, but you know, sometimes it's easy to like take the phone away from your ear and put it on speaker and then go to Instagram while you're talking to them or mm -hmm. you're getting text messages while you're talking to them and or you're focused on something else. Like when you sit down with that person and you're focused on that person, it's what a world that we live in that like this is a real conversation to be having, but like be with people in real life and it will reduce anxiety. Yeah. Like and obviously like some people get social anxiety. You don't need to hang out in a big group. Get with one person who you're close with and have a real intimate, like, and it doesn't have to be sex, but intimate conversation, have a real, like, real conversation with that person. It's, I think it's super important. Yeah. I was doing, a, basically, it was like a, it wasn't a podcast. It was like a live podcast. It was a lecture. 
and the author it was she wrote a book it was all about friendship it's called platonic and i'm blanking mm. on the name but it was super cool and she's like a i think she's like a social scientist or something like that but she wrote this book and you know it's just full of interesting statistics one of which stuck with me which was basically like or, or not even statistics but studies that showed that everybody feels anxiety about like saying hello to a stranger walking down the street mm. and it's like oh like uh, i'm not sure if i should say this or not like there's a moment of do i do i not and then even if people think that the other person might be hostile or react poorly or whatever pretty much every time it comes back positive mm -hmm. and both people mm -hmm. have a better day and that that interaction is rated higher by people than something that you might think is like a bigger deal that reaction could define someone's day as like a positive thing like oh i waved to this person in my neighborhood that i never saw before and they smiled back and it's as simple as i love that, that. anyways i'm not articulating this well but it's a super no cool you articulated perfectly you know what's you know what's funny though dude i i love saying hi to people yeah. like, that. like i don't get anxiety at all yeah i <laughs> when i trained at west side my buddy tom from ireland he was also there and tom literally sold all of his belongings in ireland to move to columbus ohio to train at west side barbell with louis simmons and Tom didn't know anyone and I didn't know anyone either, but he was from Ireland. Like he, he, he has his accent. He was from Waterford in Ireland. His accent was so thick. Mm. Like it was very difficult to understand him. He had no, no friends. His, the, the language, again, he spoke English, but like, right. it's, it's difficult. <laughs> if you've never heard someone with a deep Irish accent, like it can be difficult. So he sold everything. And so we were just going to the mall and it was so funny because I would just pass people like, Hey, 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 what's going on? And Tom lost it. He was like, you just say hi to fucking everyone. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, you're like, you're like, hi, 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 hi. You're just saying fucking hi to everybody. And, <laughs> That's a good accent. And, and I like didn't even realize it. And even to this day, Tom and I, whenever we talk, he'll, he'll laugh and he'll say this because apparently I'd be like, hey, what's going on? I'm from Boston. And so Tom will call me and be like, Hey, I'm from Boston. Hey, I'm from Boston. Hi, I'm Jordan. I'm from Boston. And it's just fun. Like, and so this is actually, this is one of the craziest stories. I haven't thought about this in a while. When I was living in New York, I literally, when I'm on the street, I say hi to random people all the time. And in New York, things are open 24 hours a day. So there was one time when I was sick, had a cold or something, and CVS was right across the street on 6th Ave. So it's like two in the morning and I go out. And I'm in, I'm in the West Village at this time, which is a nice area. Apartments are tiny and way overpriced, but it's a nice area. Great restaurants. I go to CVS, get my cold medicine. I'm coming back. And I'm coming back in this like dark alley at like 2, 2.15 in the morning. And I see this guy walking towards me. And most people would say like, you should stay on the other side of the street or whatever. What, whatever. I'm like, I'm just going to, it's, it's, he's right near my apartment. Mm -hmm. He's getting closer and closer and closer to me to a point where like he's going out of his way now to walk right at me. For whatever ignorant reason, I am not nervous at all. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking anything bad could happen. Nothing. Two in the morning, no one around. And I just look up at him and I say, hey, how's it going? And he stops and like smiles. And I just keep walking by. But now I start to get this weird feeling. And now I'm like, I'm like three steps away from my door. I turn around and this guy is running at me. Oh shit. He's running at me. And now I'm like, oh shit. So I fortunately get the key right in the door, open the door, slam the door shut. And then, and then he's like shaking the door. He's like, boom, 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 trying to get in the door, trying to get after me. Yikes. And so to this day. I very much think the only reason he didn't like try and attack me in the middle of the street or whatever it was is because I surprised him with a, <laughs> hey, how are you? <laughs> and that was it. It was just like, a, hey, how are you? And then like he stopped and he looked surprised and I just walked right by. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be going after that kid. So yeah, wow. it, it can it can save your life. <laughs> what a story.
man, there's that moment where you're like looking out the window of the door and he's like looking at you. Jesus. Oh, you shaking the yeah. door trying to get in. And I was like, oh, God. And then I had I called the police. I was like, hey, just so you know, this just happened. They were like, that was the third report we got of that tonight. Sorry. Like we're sending we're sending people. Yeah. <laughs> man. So I don't know if this mental health podcast went the direction you were expecting it to go. Well, how's your time? Great. Do you have a, a minute great. for a couple more? Dude, of course. You know, I did want to kind of circle back to what you were talking about with running and mm. how it can be something that's really helpful and healthy and uplifting and gives you endorphins and, and health benefits, but it can also be used to avoid things, to overcompensate, to, to self-medicate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what are the fitness trends that you see that are most prone to uh, backfiring in that way? Well, you know, I wouldn't say there's like a specific modality or, or a specific type of exercises. I would say it's just, it's very easy to get, depending on the person, it's very easy to get obsessive with one thing and then let that like essentially self-medicate with that one thing and then use that thing to avoid discussions that actually need to happen. And I think this is really important where if you're using exercise as a way to avoid discussions and improving mentally and emotionally, it's a Band-Aid. It's not actually going to fix the problem. It's sort of similar and not the same, but it's similar to if you're having an issue with your spouse or with a friend or whatever, and instead of addressing it, you're just like, ah, it's okay. And like, you just let it go Mm. and you let it go and you let it go and you let it go. You're not solving it. You're just ignoring it. You're not addressing it. And there are, listen, I talk about the benefits of exercise all the time and how important it is. So I'm not saying don't exercise. That's please, some idiots, please don't think that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that exercise is one aspect of health and that if you're not having the conversations that you need to have, which are, by the way, the conversations you need to have are the difficult conversations. Mm. They're the challenging ones. They're the ones that make you nervous. They're the ones that make you anxious. They're the ones that are difficult for you to like to initiate, for you to sit down, for you to articulate. They're difficult. But that being said, usually the difficult conversations are the ones that make the biggest change in your life that for the better. Same way like... <laughs> See, with exercise, right? It's like it's usually difficult to get up and go work out yeah. and da, da 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 da. What I found is often the people who don't have an issue getting up to go work out are usually the ones who are more averse to having the difficult conversations. They're like they use the working out as the way to band aid it, and they don't actually. Like, they're like they're angry, they're upset, they're anxious, whatever. I'm just gonna go work it out, and that's great. Go go work out, please do. But when you're back from working out, we need to have this conversation like this. Mm-hmm. We can't avoid this. And so, and whether it's with a therapist or with a friend or with who the person that you're actually struggling with, whatever it is, like you need to speak and, and you need to, to work it out because working out is a very effective way to boost your mood in the short term and to improve your health in the long term. But in between that short term and long term, we need to figure out, well, like what's going on in between your ears and what's going on in your soul and and how can we not just improve the mental and emotional and physical side from an exercise perspective, but how can we also improve it from a logical and from a um, emotional and from a verbal perspective like Mm. from a a growth perspective from a mindset perspective outside of just in the gym yeah that's fantastic what's something that you wish people or more people were aware of when it comes to mental health you know i think and this is going to go maybe a different direction but i think i really wish that people had more empathy for everybody from the perspective of even if it's someone, it's so easy to look at someone else and be like, oh, that person's a bad person. That person's a, they're bad. 
Yeah. And and one of my favorite quotes, I think it's like, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Stolzhenitsky or Stolzhenitsky. And he said, the line dividing good and evil runs through the heart of every every human being. And we all have good and bad in us. And we've all done good and bad. And usually, and this is one of my favorite quotes, I've said it on the podcast before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, is we usually judge ourselves by our intent and we judge others by their actions. And so when you do something, you're like, well, I meant to do this. But if someone else does something, you're like, well, look at what you did. I don't care what you intended to do. And so even if someone does something that you don't agree with, you have to understand they're probably in statistically, they're probably not a bad person. And also you have no idea what they're going through mentally. And you have no clue. And I'll give you an example. This is a difficult one. Recently, there was a a woman in the fitness industry who was shown to be editing her her pictures. She was editing her her pictures, and um, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's a, a good thing. She was editing them and pretending as though they weren't editing. Mm-hmm. Which you know, when you have a business around fitness and you're selling and you're using your body as a selling tool, it's disingenuous at best. It's just lying and it's, it creates a lot of, it can actually create more mental health issues among the people who are following you because they're comparing their body to your body. It's not good. Yeah. But then all of these people started to gang up on her and shame her and guilt her and, and say, you're a bad person and da, da, da. It's like, listen, let's think about this. If this woman is editing her pictures, it's coming from a place of insecurity. I promise you that. Yeah. She is editing them because she's not caught. And she was so, she's so fit. Yeah. She's gorgeous. And the fact that she feels like she needs to edit her pictures in order to for, like look better, whatever better is, like it's, it's not coming from a place of like, oh, I'm doing this so that I can sell more ebooks. It's like, no, I'm doing this because I'm embarrassed and I have a real issue with how I look. Mm. And at this point, I think most people, especially in, in our end of the industry, will understand that shaming and guilting people is not the right way to establish change, right? If someone is is struggling with their health, with their fitness, we know very clearly now in the research that shaming and guilting them and saying, oh, you fat slob, oh, you lazy, whatever it is, like it, it does the opposite. It pushes them in the opposite direction of actually wanting to make a positive change. So why in the hell are these same people using shame and guilt tactics on on this person in order to get them to make a change? It's like, I don't think that we should ignore it. And I don't think that we should congratulate her for editing her videos. But we also shouldn't all gang up and say like, you're a bad person, which by the way, if you ever use a filter, or if you ever like take 27 different pictures to find the best version of the one that you like, you're doing the same fucking shit. Mm. So let's like take yourself off the pedestal here and understand that like everyone's doing it to some extent. I just, when I saw what happened to this woman, I got really, I felt very bad for her. And I also understand what she did was wrong. Yep. And we can have both yep. simultaneously. Like, I don't agree with this. This was wrong. But let's not drag you through the mud and make a bad situation worse. Like you have all these people in the comment sections and making posts who are just, they're, they're holier than thou. And like, they're, you're bad. You're wrong. It's like, I would love to see the skeletons in your closet, motherfucker. Like, I guarantee you're not as, as good as you think you are. And, uh, I wish people had more empathy, even for people that they might not like or agree with, because everyone is going through some real shit. And it's so easy just to look down on them and shame, shame, shame. It's like, ugh, we're all humans. We're all going through stuff. And I bet if you actually sat down with that person in real life and spoke with them, you'd probably actually like them and you'd probably feel a little bit connected with them. And it's this disconnection that we feel through social media that empowers people to just be mean and angry and rude. And it's like, man, let's, uh, let's try and be a little bit kinder because I bet if you meet them in person, it's going to be a very different situation. Yeah. And that's happened to me so many times, dude. There have been so many times where I've met people in person where on social media, I'm like, that person's a piece of shit. I don't say it online, but like in my head, I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, fuck that person. And I meet them in person. I'm like, I want to have them over for dinner. I really <laughs> like that person. Uh, right. It's, it happens all the time. And people have said it about me. They've been mm-hmm. like, I saw you on social media. I didn't like you. And 
now I meet you in person, like you're actually really cool. Like I like you a lot. Happens all the time, constantly. It's uh yeah. So I wish there was more empathy for for people, especially the people that you think you disagree with and don't like. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. And I wonder if if people instead of taking that critical voice and putting it on someone else, not turned it back on themselves, but questioned why they wanted to put that critical voice on someone else. Cause I wonder if that mm-hmm. soul searching would, you know, help them put themselves in other people's shoes, like you're saying. So yeah, that's really, cool. yeah. So I think, uh, again, I'm not a professional. I'm not good at this, but I think it's worth saying as we wrap this up, you know, if someone is dealing with something serious that they should seek help. Yes. Professional help for sure. Yeah. And, and even if it's, if you don't think it's serious, yeah, seek, seek help. It's one of those things where I don't think you need to be at a point at which it's a breaking point to seek help. Yeah, I would rather you start it. Like it's sort of like with exercise. I'd rather you not wait until you're at a serious fucking crossroads. I would rather you do it now. And I think talking to a therapist is one of the best things for people to do, period. It's like regardless of whether or not, like even if you think everything is great, yeah, book a point with a, with a therapist. Just have a have a chat. Yeah, sit down, see see how it goes. I think it's one of the best things anyone can do. Yeah. It's it's so helpful, and once you do it, you realize like uh, you haven't had one of those conversations before, probably where you just sit down with someone who's not judging you, who like they're just there to listen. They're a soundboard. It's like in everyday life, you don't have that conversation. Most likely it's a very unique experience. And I remember when I was in high school, I went to my first therapist. Uh, My mom was like, you need to see a therapist. (laughs) I was like, because my parents were getting divorced and I was very angry. I I was having real anger issues. And uh, I went into it thinking like, I'm smarter than this guy. Mm -hmm. Like, and I was like looking at it sort of like, analyze this analyze that like trying to be like i know what you're doing i know i know what you're doing <laughs> i'm smarter right. than you huh? yeah exactly <laughs> like exactly or like what was it oh my what's the most amazing movie uh how do you like them apples what's that movie <laughs> uh, with, good Will uh, hunting robin williams yes dude exactly i need to watch that movie today exactly when you do that you're only hurting yourself you're only hurt you're only you're only limiting your own ability to grow it's not helping and uh, I'll also say, you know, I've had some bad therapists too. Mm-hmm. Like it sometimes takes time to, before you find one that clicks. Mm-hmm. So like there, there are some therapists who suck or maybe they're just not the, a good fit for you. Right. So I think everyone should seek out help no matter what. And because we all need help. Everyone needs help in something. Amen. So might as well, might as well go in and see if it helps you. Awesome, man. Before we wrap up, I just want to thank you again for being so open, for being uh, an inspiration to me and I'm sure others and for sitting down for this episode. I know that it was kind of a long time coming. Dude, thank you, man. Thank you for helping the the podcast. And I love having these conversations with you. I, I really enjoy it. And I think uh, you've helped me dive into areas that I never would have dove into before. So I appreciate it. I hope everyone listening appreciates it. If you do, please leave a five-star review. Nothing less than a five-star. Nothing less. If you're if you're going to leave less than a five-star, just don't even leave it. <laughs> just five-star reviews, iTunes, Spotify, uh, written reviews do help a lot. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing week. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.